Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hello, we are live. Happy Wednesday, February 16, 2022. To everyone out there in fish podcast land, my name is Brian Brinkman. I'm a producer here at Osiris Media, and I'm joined as I'm joined every single Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern with my good friends to talk about fish, RJ Megan, Jonathan, how's everyone doing here today? Megan, I'm going to start with you. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. I'm so happy these summer tour dates dropped. Summer tour dates did drop. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of news since the last time. I think that we predicted this accurately. Uh, In the last three episodes, we said, no, next week the dates are dropped. No, 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 (laughs) next week the date. We just kept getting more and more accurate. Um, I'm very excited. Meg, 
what are your thoughts on these tour dates and what shows do you think that you're going to hit this year? Well, I'm really excited. I mean, this is a massive tour. This is a lot bigger than any summer tour they've done in a while. I'm sure, Brian, you've probably got stats to to tell us about that. But yeah, I was looking back, just just a few. <laughs> I was looking back, it was like 21, 22, 23, the last few years. So this is super exciting and that it's 34 shows. And I'm hoping to hit some East Coast, like some Great Woods, Jones Beach, um, Atlantic City. You know, I just got to get into that mess on the beach. It's going to be crazy, I'm sure. And I'm hoping to actually make it to a bucket list show this year in Alpine Valley. Nice. Alpine would yeah. be sweet. Alpine would be excellent. I love uh yeah. I love seeing Alpine. That's that's my my homeland. I have uh I've not seen a show at Alpine since 2015, so I'm hoping to make it back to that as well. Jonathan, what were your thoughts on these dates that la- that launched uh or that dropped for us and uh what are your thoughts on on seeing shows this summer? There are a lot of dates. I'm really excited that they're going back to Bethel. I, not that I've been, nor mm. do I expect to go. I, th- I just I, everybody tells me that it's a wonderful place, uh, and I, I think, you know, just judging by the waves they played when no one was looking, uh, maybe they will uh, <laughs> do something nice there. I, I have no idea what I will see this summer. My, uh, my year is really only just now starting to uh, take shape, but um, I'm sure I'll see something, and I'll be glad for it. You'll be glad. You'll be grateful. And the beautiful thing is, they're probably going to they're probably going to webcast a lot of these shows, so you'll be able to see them one way or the other. RJ, fish dates. You're going to see fish sooner than the rest of us here, so mm-hmm. you're probably not that excited about future fish because you've got immediate <laughs> fish to look forward to. But what were your thoughts on summer tour dates, and uh, what are you hoping to hit? Um, huge tour. Um, I do think they could have saved some space by just calling it summer. I don't, you know, I understand there are several <laughs> dates, you know, in the spring in terms of the calendar, but like it's summer tour, you know, they're so technical. It's, it's not summer till at least June. <laughs> they yeah, must have June this by you, Jonathan, really. Cause that would have been like, eh, just call it ever, summer. ever since my son learned about seasons and like what exact date the seasons change, he is like, no, 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 no. June. <laughs> <in spring." laughs> I will be, yep. I will be honest. I'm emotionally and physically just trying to get to Mexico next week. So that's my sure. first goal. Um, and then I'm trying to get to MSG in April. And then after that, I will start thinking about this, but I do think I'll, the man is like one mile that way. Um, so Party I'm definitely going to go there. Wow. Yeah, we've had a lot of people say they're coming to stay with us without us <laughs> being able to weigh in. So it seems like, it seems like our house is going to be full. Um, I have this. I have this. I have this text chain. I'm, you know, we all have text chains, and I have one that's seven people, and it's it's two of my friends from growing up, one person from the first campaign I went on, and then three people from the second campaign I worked on, and we started an email chain in two thousand five probably something like that and it's now turned into a text chain so we are trying to go to raleigh to to meet up at at my friend jim's house who lives there and all get together in person for the first time um in in years um so that actually the first time ever that that all seven of us would have would hang out in person so that's one thing i'm trying to do amazing that'd be so fun be really fun um the atlantic city thing is interesting i i had fun at atlantic city last year but i don't know if i'll go back it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I only, I only went for one night, but it was totally insane and <laughs> I had a really good time. 
Um, I needed that like last release before the summer was over. It was definitely an interesting scene. For me, it's kind of like a no-brainer. I can drive there. It's just, you know, it's easy. I think yeah. any show that I can drive to, I try to do if it works out with my schedule. Is not top of my list. I mean, I feel like sometimes on the East Coast, I always end up going to shows that they're not my favorite venues, but I go to them because they're here. So mm. I definitely, I definitely feel your hesitation. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to go to Meriwether, Raleigh, and and the Man, and then maybe just show up at some other ones. Um, I do, I will say, I've been to Pine Knob before because I grew up around mm. there, but I don't think that the venue was on Bob Seger Drive when I was growing up, and now it is, which means that. <laughs> It's Maybe just they like just another decided Bob Seeger was worthy of a drive since then. <laughs> they might have, but it means I kind of have to go because, like, you do. Who, who wouldn't want to drive down Bob Seeger Drive? Anyway, you can take Brian with you for that. Yeah, I know Brian. <laughs> I know Brian would do it. I, I went to Pine Knob in 2014 and I was blown away that the Grateful Dead played in a venue of that size. I, mm. I got really good tickets. I was like eighth row and it was such a cozy little uh, amphitheater. I loved it there. Um, I'm really excited about these dates. You know, we, we were getting to mid February. We were starting to wonder like, are they actually going to tour this year? It was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, no, not, not, not really. I like the two leg uh, effect. It, it kind of feels like a throwback to early 3.0. Um, I absolutely love that they're returning to Bethel. Uh, 528-2011, I think, is one of the greatest shows that the band has played since coming back in 2009. I listen to that show in full constantly. It's just got excellent flow, great playing, awesome jamming, the waves that Jonathan mentioned. Um, I put in last night for Bethel and Hartford. That weekend looks like a lot of fun, and I could go and see some family uh, as well as some friends on the East Coast. I put in for Alpine. I haven't been since 2015 and I, I absolutely love Alpine. It's where I saw my first Trey show where everything kind of started mm -hmm. for me. And then, I mean, every person who knows me got an all caps four nights at Dick's <laughs> yesterday. I was so, so excited. I, I kind of lost it when it happened. My wife was in a meeting. I ran out of my office. I almost tore the door off just to yell to her. And she had to like shush me away, but like I could see her smiling and just like beaming by it. And then we talked at dinner about how scared we are of four nights at Dick's because it just feels like <laughs> such a massive commitment. Um, but yeah, those are, those are what I'm looking for right now and trying to hold out a little bit of hope for potentially, um, you know, if they do a fall tour, if they go back to Vegas, um, if, if, if that all mm -hmm. comes together, but, but it's awesome. It's 34 shows. If they play a fall tour, we're on pace for potentially 58 shows in 2022, which by my counts is the most that they would have played since 2000, which is just kind of insane wow. to consider if, if, if that happens. Um, I, th I think we'll Brian, see. I think that fishnet counts, um, in some, in some runs from the old days, it counts June shows as summer, but right now the, sh the June shows are not counted on fishnet as summer shows. So the, the math is not, um, complete, but based on my scanning through summer tours, I think this is the most dates. If you count all of these as summer, the, the most dates in the summer that they've played since like maybe 1994. Wow, that would, make, that would check out. That wow. is amazing. Are you are you including 
the spring run, like the April one, or are you just going from June? Just from June to, well, yeah, to... the last couple of days in May through, uh, through, through Dick's, um, wow. which, you know, someone will probably correct us, which they should do. Cause it's, it's not right to lie on the internet, but, um, that, that's kind of, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> ever done it before. RJ. Those we are the facts really that I know. Right. The first. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Fish <laughs> as a platform to lie online. Interesting. What, um, what's any, what's the biggest surprise? Do you guys have any, any surprises with these dates? I think it's going to be Bethel. I yeah. I mean, oh, I just, I mean, surprise the, dates, the like things horse. you weren't expecting, things you weren't expecting on the dates. Bethel. Yeah. Bethel and the four nights at Dick's, I would say. I also was surprised to have a three night opener in Alabama. That surprised yeah. me. It's an interesting, like Southeastern leg that they're doing. Mm-hmm. At like a beautiful time of year, I bet if anyone travels to that, it's going to be a ton of fun to get down there. Know. You know, it's still a little bit chilly in the Northeast, a little bit chilly in the Northwest. Just like a great time to jump down there over Memorial Day and just get this vibe of summer almost immediately. So nice. I'm really yeah. excited to see some Midwestern fish too. I haven't seen it in a really long time. And as a Midwesterner, Alpine is kind of like the hole in my scorecard that I never went to. And I was like, I'm about to make it right this year. Yeah, I was considering, can I do like a jump back to the Midwest for Deer Creek and then a jump back to the Midwest for Alpine? But, you know, the the webcasting last year was so much fun and I'll just, I'll, 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 I'll handle it that way. But um, we're excited to dive into this tour as it unfolds just, just about three and a half months from now. That's so crazy. I mean, we'll have eight fish shows in the can. We'll know kind of what this 2022 sound is going to be like. And then the band hits the road with a vengeance again. You know, these, these 34 dates really feel like we're moving past the last couple of years and we are just back on the road. Like we're 25 years old again. It's pretty amazing. It's too bad. They're going to just burn it all up and be exhausted by the time (laughs) they get to Dick's. It's going to be, it's going to be mail in. Four nights, ah, eh, we'll just do whatever. Um, They'll just play tweezer all night, one night, and everybody just <laughs> down on the grass and be like, fine. So those of you who have joined um, have seen in uh, in what we're discussing here today is not necessarily 2022 dates, but we had to jump into it because we're so excited. We are talking about an album that is 28 years old as of next month, um, Fishes Hoist. I knew you had props there. I like that. <laughs> Look at that. That was it's cool how you did that, Jonathan. Stuff. You like that? Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to dive into this. I've watched tracking again. I've listened to Hoist. I even listened to Game Hoist to uh, kind of test things out. I listened to some Spring 94, which is such a incredible tour. Before we do that, though, we are going to tell you a little bit about our friends at Sunset Lake cbd rj do you want to tell us a little bit about our friends at sunset lake cbd today i thought you'd never ask um i I would i would um so if you're a cbd user you should not be spending a lot of money you can get affordable high quality cbd straight from the farm and that comes from our friends at sunset lake a vermont hemp farm that creates Affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. Um, They craft products with hemp grown on their family farm, and they ship directly to customers, which cuts out all the costs associated with getting them on the shelves. 
and they have lots of CBD products. I think we've all uh, seen them and tried them. They have tinctures, edibles, coffee, and even CBD for your pets. Um, I use the CBD gummies often. Um, I I use a lot of their stuff often, actually. But the, the CBD gummies are are my favorite. Um, Jonathan, I know that you've you keep a, a a jar of the trusty salve nearby for arthritis, right? You can see that right there. If you're listening, you can't see it, but if you're watching, you can. Um, they're great, and we really appreciate them. And you can check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off. And uh, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Sunset Lake is amazing. And um, I had a little bit of their uh, CBD buds last night, and uh, it was it was fantastic. I was, I was hanging out, listening to some music, and it was great. Um, let's jump into talking a bit about Hoist. So set the table on this record. Jonathan, where was Fish kind of in their, in the space of their career in the fall of 1993, as they went into the studio to record the album Hoist? A little bit of everywhere, right? So they were playing large theaters, tiny college arenas and things, uh, little the little tiny amphitheaters that year, um, you know, in the summer they played like Wolf Trap and all the little, you know, uh, small amphitheaters, uh, big theaters as well, and and they were uh, shifting musically a bit, right? They were breaking into more real reels, maybe a harsh word to bring out, but uh, you know, more uh, intensive jamming. Uh, still very high energy, not really getting into space jamming or anything like you would hear a year later, maybe. But uh, uh, yeah, they they were playing a lot of shows, and they were really on top of their game at that time, uh, but not huge yet. So. Yeah, it's a really interesting period to go back and listen to them. I, I think about the dinner and a movie that the band showcase from great woods 93 last summer i think it was last summer where they're playing this amphitheater that they're going to play twice this upcoming summer they've played so many times in the last few years um you know and it's a standard amphitheater across the country but like it's really the only amphitheater that they can play in in early summer 1993 they would play a few others throughout the summer but like by all accounts it's really scattered attendance and they're this little secret at this point in time they're really kind of breaking out of their musical shells but also you you would imagine there's a kind of internal momentum to kind of push forward musically and um production wise and also to push forward in terms of you know how, how they're heard across the country rj what are your thoughts about this kind of 1993 transition into 94 yeah i mean it's interesting because i feel like they were trying to keep everything that they had built in terms of the the humor and the and the connection with the fans while while expanding and i think hoist is a good representation of that you know just in terms of the the way the music especially watching the tracking doc again which i hadn't done in a long long time um but yeah the fall 93 i think august 93 is really when we start hearing modern fish really for the first time you know right in terms of improv and the way they're approaching improv but once they get into fall, I think fall was actually a little bit more like spotty than summer in terms of that. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't know where they were in 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 that time mentally, but I feel like they were, you know, just on the just on the verge, which is just kind of a cool time to to put together an album like this. Meg, when you hear kind of Fish ninety three, Hoist and Rift, like where where do you kind of draw the through line there? Well, it's really interesting because I was thinking about it and also like researching a little and. Rift, you know, was a big change for them. You know, they started really maturing in their themes and writing songs. You know, Tom Marshall and, and Trey started writing songs that were much more personal. You know, I think that they really delved into that. And I think that kind of cracked open a new space for them. And so I think they were kind of willing to take some more risks and be more personal in their songwriting after Rift. And, you know, I know that in Rift, they had a lot of control and kind of boxed out their producer. And I think like you were saying, RJ, they were trying to expand, but still tr- stay true to themselves, which I think it really shows on Hoist. They're, they want to make a rock album. I think maybe they have some influences that want them to get on the radio. You know, they're going to make a video for MTV, but they're still so fish in that. I think I see, you know, them like walking on rocks, like like in recording sessions and like hitting lemonade jars. And it's just so interesting seeing like them try to be them, but also try to stretch out. And it's just so cool because this album has so many things that are so essential fish and then so many things that you could hear on the radio station in 1994. It's really interesting. Yeah, the line they walk of, you know, Mm -hmm. being true to themselves, which I think they're successful at while making concessions to the possibility that the record label and they could make money on an album and so use going to LA to make the record and which, you know, I know and, and, and working with a producer and just kind of changing their methodology to at least some significant degrees. Um, it, it definitely put a lot of people on edge. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to that. Cause there's, there's a lot of edge that lingered on this record for a while. I, it's interesting. You talk about like the dynamic of staying true to fish versus this other, you know, this pressure that may, that they may have been under with blues traveler and Dave Matthews band, two of their compatriots kind of breaking out and having radio singles and MTV music, you know, music videos over their recent years you definitely hear moments where like you, you ask yourself, why did this not stick as a hit single? How did this not land in the, in the culture at the time? And then you hear Riker's mailbox or demand (laughs) or, you know, uh, a a song like Axela part two, which would leave a, you know, person who has no idea who fish is to be like, well, where's part one? What is, what is, why did you put part two on the record without part one? There's all these like, or Son of a Mule, like or Son of a Mule, bluegrass song about aliens invading and like a <laughs> mule taking a shit. Like that is so fish, right? <laughs> it's like what? Well, and and one question I have for you guys because you know Meg, you, you really highlighted it. Like they're turning, they're going from their twenties to their thirties at this point in time. They're starting to have kids. They're starting to be in relationships, and you highlighted it really well. Tom and Trey's writing, like lyrical approach, is changing dramatically. You hear fast enough for you on Rift one of the first ballads, if not the first true ballad that the band is playing. And that then kind of turns over to hoist with songs like if I could, and with songs like uh, life boy, dog face boy, most of the songs on this record were not played. They were not road tested before they were recorded. Um, RJ, how do you think that 
that approach kind of impacts this record and impacts where it sits in larger the larger fish canon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because they're it's definitely like a, a produced album compared to what we would hear next for the next couple albums, right? Like they, I don't know, they they went out to make like a commercially targeted record, I think, and it ended up kind of paying off. Like they, it's definitely their best selling album. It peaked at thirty four on the Billboard chart, you know. So that that, but you can hear it in the listening to it now. It just sounds so produced compared to so many fish records um but then they went back kind of like back to the more diy approach i guess even though it's not really diy but it feels like it with billy breeze and ghosts um more stripped down i guess but organic I don't, perhaps organic yeah mm-hmm. and i don't know why they i don't know what was like happening but it feels like they were probably making a making a real push in terms of commercial you know commercial success even though it seems like they had a real I mean, we know that they had like a real problem with that. There was a de- there was definitely a tension between wanting to be successful and making sure that that didn't derail what they what they wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it's sort of an interesting time. I don't think it's been very. I mean, the tracking documentary documented it, but you don't hear a lot from them on what they're trying to do or why. Or and I don't think they've reflected that much on it. Although maybe in maybe in the fish book, there's some. There's commentary a bit about of it, it, but I think you're right. I mean, it's it's interesting because like so much of our understanding of the band comes from their live tours. And between that, there's a lot of blank spaces. And this is the first year since maybe 1988 where there's not a defined fall tour. They get off the road in August and we don't see them live again until December 28th. And they go to LA, which to your point about the tracking video, the shots of them in like suburban Los Angeles and on the streets of LA, they could never, I don't think they've ever looked more out of water than they do. And there's a shot at the end of Fishman, like on the side of a busy road in Los Angeles with like palm trees behind him. And he just looks so out of place. Um, But you know, that whole period, yeah, it feels like they're almost putting pressure on themselves to do something that they'd never done before and realized somewhat quickly, you know, that their songs better evolve when they're tested live and then brought in the studio versus this current approach. I I don't know. I'm going to argue against that last bit, which is to say that I think these songs do well on the record. I think they stand up pretty well. Some of them, in fact, are not really are rarely surpassed live like uh, say Julius for example is it's always good live it's always fun but this uh, the album version is outstanding uh, obviously you know wolfman's down with disease you know grew some legs and have done really great things but i think the versions on the record stand up really nicely uh, i'm not shocked that down with disease wasn't on high rotation on MTV um <laughs> But I mean, if you sample look at what in a was, jar. It makes a lot more, more sense. Sample too. Sample. I thought that was the more kind of like like that's a fish is playing a pop song. That, that is mm-hmm. what universe is that really a pop song? It's you <laughs> it's know the poppyist song of fishes. <laughs> Maybe it's that's fishes like translation of 
a condensed rock song, maybe. Sure, Mm -hmm. it's got that arena flash to it, but nobody else is doing anything like that in arenas at the time either. So uh, I don't, I don't know where. I, I always, I always, you know, you always heard, and at the time you were hearing people complain. It was like, oh, they're gonna play the songs from the new album. They do it every, happens every time, <laughs> and it was happening then. And um, you know, I, what's to complain about? These are good songs. I think there's always something to complain about, which is uh, the <laughs> the interesting <laughs> the interesting barrier that we find ourselves with, like just such love and appreciation for this band, with like you know nitpicking from a fan base standpoint. Um, let let's jump into that though, because RJ, Jonathan, Megan, I, I am the youngest of all of you. I will remind you that until the end of this podcast. Um, but even six years later after hoist came out i remember being told not to listen to this album by people who were trying to get me into fish because they were like ah it's their poppiest record um rj i'll start with you you got you saw your first fish show in october 1995 um what do you recall you're coming about a year or so after this record comes out what do you recall about this record this must have i think this was the most current fish record at the time for you yeah yeah, it was the first one that I got. I think I got it when it came out on CD. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't really know anything, you know, and I didn't know any better. I didn't have anyone telling me not to listen to it. So I'd listen to it. Um, I was also <laughs> collecting tapes. So that was um, that was part of it. But yeah, I mean, it was like it was definitely a CD that I listened to all the time. Um, it's pretty weird, you know, at times. And then it's it's exactly like a fish show i think i think most of their albums are i mean not yeah most of them are there's like great nice beautiful moments and there's really weird moments and it feels to me like it's pretty in line with a fish experience but when it came out i think it was it definitely felt like they were they were in a place fan wise that they hadn't been before i remember like someone that i went to high school with she told me that her dad had it and really liked the cd so like there were definitely like middle-aged dads you know in the 90s who were listening to this this album um and i don't think they were listening to other stuff because i think it i mean just think about how music distribution was in those days right like you the cds that you were allowed to buy were the cds that were like sold in cd stores you know unless you were like you didn't have like if you were if you went into the cd store into tower records or whatever there's like listen to this cd which is new now and like you might just pick up a cd from a band that you hadn't heard before if you liked the store which i don't know it it feels pretty different to me than now where like everything's much more diffuse but jonathan you should tell me if that if you agree with that or not but that's i felt like it was getting pushed in in a commercial way that uh, that they hadn't been before yeah i mean I, i can't argue about the the getting pushed in a commercial way but i bought this thing the day it came out and i was a fan i had not seen them yet but um, I was had the albums and I had tapes and everything and knew there was a new Fish CD coming. So I went out and I, I bought it on the day. Was it March 29th? That's it. Uh, 1994. And um, I still have that CD somewhere. I, I haven't spun the actual CD in a long time. Um and yeah, there was some hype, but I, I, I think, I think your, your assessment, RJ, that it, like, it is a good bit like a fish show and that it kind of encompasses all the kinds of things you get it from a fish show is not, not off base. 
it's a lot slicker than that though but uh but that's not bad um I, and it it yeah it's a good listen i just am i want to step back to know what it was like on march 29th 94 when this record comes out and fish fans all across the country go out and buy it and they put it on the band's not going on tour for another like five or six days they start their tour in early april of 94 and they press play and they hear you know julius which is just such a great opening track so many like background sounds it's such a great use of the studio you've got the tower power horns then disease comes on future classic fish song i don't know what it was like to hear it for the first time but then that riff starts and anyone who's heard worcester 93 is like oh my god this was the jam out of odd lang syne and like what a cool moment that must have been that was a big Um, moment and for me because we had that we had that show already and we had been listening yeah. to it a lot and we continued to, but we got, it was like, Oh, 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 it, it's that. Yeah. It was, it was pretty exciting. It's, it's the I remember that connection too. moment. Yeah. I remember that connection too. It was weird though, because I was super into rift. I started listening to fish in 1994 and I was so into rift. And then because I was into the grateful dead, I just got bootlegs and that became kind of like my focus. And I remember listening to like a little bit of picture of nectar. And then I remember listening to hoist, but it wasn't, I was so into collecting shows then. Um, and so I remember just, that was my focus. And so I think that for me, the studio albums remained kind of not as important to me. And I think that like, I remember listening to it, but it just didn't seem as kind of crucial to understanding the band. And I think especially once we got further into 95, when they were playing so many of the Billy Breeze songs before the album came out, it was like we already knew all the songs before the album came out. You know, same with Ghost Story of the Ghost. So it's just interesting on this album how they did that reverse. I wonder why they did that. I don't know if it has something to do with like the songwriting, like they wrote them and then they they wanted to put them on the record right away. I have no idea, but there's not a lot out there about that and why they made that decision. I know they have a lot of regrets, it seems, about the production of like trying to get on MTV. And there's a quote of Fishman saying that that was the last time they ever took someone's advice over following their own instincts. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's true. You can see that with the rest of their albums. They're really, they're yeah. their way and they road test the songs. And yeah, so it's interesting. I think you got to try it though. I, I think that they were right to, you know, they had kind of treaded the waters for a, cu- a couple albums with a major label and it, i think it was really it was high time and the label probably said boys you need to try this now and yeah uh i think it, was and it right- wasn't a failure they no no i think they were yeah. right to go um mm-hmm. it definitely made it clear to uh, electra uh their label at the time that they could reasonably sell an album uh and you know, I think it probably did probably reasonably well through the year. I, I'm just making this up in my brain. Uh, and yeah, they're not going to be, they didn't have blues selling power of Blues Travelers 4, which was massive. You know, it had run around and a couple, like a couple other good big singles. It wasn't Dave Matthews, but, um, you know, I don't think it was a bad investment for Electra either. Uh, I don't know though. Maybe for all I know, they're still repaying advances on it. But. <laughs> <laughs> this record, this record hit number thirty-four on the Billboard two hundred. It was at the point the highest charting album for them. It was surpassed, fittingly though, by a live one, which came out a year later, which really kind of resets. Like to your point, Meg Fishman saying, 
we're never going to take anyone's advice again. If the live album, if the produced live album does better than the, you know, workshopped produced studio album. Okay. That's probably the direction we should go in, but it is, you know, RJ, you talk about this being like a fish show. I never thought about it that way, but it's, it's such a good way to put it to me. It's, this is like the CD, even though I was told not to listen to this album, this is to me, the album that you almost should hear first. Like it gives you a bit of everything about fish in a way that no other album totally does like rift and Billy breathes and story of the ghost. I, I like better than hoist, but they're more thematic and they give you kind of more of a mood of fish. Whereas if, if you like fish music in general, hoist has something for everyone on there. It's got rock and roll. It's got potential jam vehicles. It's got ballads. It's got a lot of weirdness. It's got bluegrass. Um, I mean, I remember when I was first getting into fish, one of my best friends who I got into fish with, this was just like this CD. We would pop in, in his car and just blast because it just gave us that like, you know, in 35, 40 minutes, uh, an encapsulation of who fish is without additional noise, without having to like, you know, deal with potential sound issues from, from bootlegs without having to like, we just, we knew this record. It flowed really well. And outside of uh, Riker's mailbox, which my friend was terrified of um, whenever it would come <laughs> on, like everything else just like hits really, really hard. So it just, it feels like a great snapshot of the band at a time in their career that even if we all look back on 93, 94 and don't immediately think of hoist, like it really kind of encapsulates this pure era for the band in a really cool way. Yeah. I think in the, the tracking the documentary too like you can see that it, this is like the the kind of mature nerdiness was was apparent it was clearly like before the kind of partying and the the scene started getting too big it was like them at their peak of nerdiness and and but also maturity like they were they were they knew what they were trying to do and um it's fun to watch that because it's it's interesting to see them like you know just having fun, but also doing completely absurd shit for an album. Um, it's not like they were taking themselves too seriously, but it's also clear that it was, this was like before the, the scene became like a problem for anyone, you know, they're serious musicians, but unserious people. Yeah. Yeah. The downtime is <laughs> not partying. It's, it's fishmen giggling like an eight year old at a polar bear trying to get into a cage where a scientist is observing the polar bear. It's, it's hysterical. It also, like I was texting you over the weekend, it looks like a hundred, 200 years ago. I mean, the technology yeah. is just so dated. I mean, it made me feel really old. But just still the, climate the tracking change. lines on the screen. The yeah, VHS exactly. transfer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Still climate change, though. The scene of Trey going to see the wildfires in California in uh, the late fall was was very it hit home. Um, one thing I want to just guide our listeners towards. I think I can post uh, this in our comment section. I checked out the website for the American Recording Company, and if you want to feel old, and if you want to see something that like just looks like it's out of a relic of the past. This website, and especially the photo <laughs> album, is amazing. Fish has not made the photo album, mm. um, unfortunately. 
and and I'm not allowed, according to the website, to publicly share any of these pictures. So don't <laughs> tell anyone I shared the link. Is this you. is this but, a GeoCities uh, site? What the heck? <laughs> it looks like it. There's a lot of pictures of Three Dog Night. There's a lot of pictures of upgrades to the studio as it goes from analog into digital. And it's about seven pages of pictures that look like they're like posted on a corkboard and then digitally uploaded. It's it's fantastic Just, stuff. For the for the podcast listeners, um, go to AmericanRecording.com and you can see this. It's a beautiful site. It's great. It's we may it want looks, to redo the Osiris the, site to look like this. There's a great <laughs> picture on the first page of the the old recording console, which is all knobs and stuff, and there's a there's a big old water pipe off to the right. That's kind of <laughs> hilarious. I love the like pencil drawings of the two men. That's amazing. The right. top. This is special. Wow. It's it's good stuff. So I, I would encourage people to check it out. And watching the the tracking documentary, like you got a sense of there's a step up here going out to LA recording in the studio, but it's also still very fish because this just feels like kind of a hole in the wall, you know, like a, a smaller recording studio that um Electra is not paying for them to go to like the high end like sleek studio <laughs> yeah. in mid 1994 to bust out a a, a classic album nope. um should we jump into kind of the songs on this record and kind of our thoughts on them and, yes. and, and how these songs have evolved all that sort of fun stuff yeah cool. <laughs> so this record cool thanks for the approval guys um yep. so this uh this record opens with julius Julius is a really interesting fish song in the sense that it sounds like old world Americana, but it sounds like the blues. It sounds like it's got funk in it. It's a really cool song. RJ, what are your thoughts on this take of Julius and kind of Julius in general? Well, this was like, this was a long time before tab, but this reminds me of tab, like going Mm, back to it. Totally. That's what my thoughts were. RJ It was like, there's horns, there's female vocalists. There's like, great grooves but like a nice melody um and i i don't know i mean i obviously we know from trey talking about it that like he he had thought about this kind of music before starting tab but um i don't know that's just that's that was my that was my main thought yeah i felt the same rj i thought that like the way i could you could see trey when he's in there like hitting different instruments and you could just imagine him enjoying kind of putting all those pieces together he seems mm-hmm. to love to do that whether he's like writing for an orchestra or you know with john hart or he loves to i think collaborate with musicians and bring a lot of people together and make like a big band sound yeah. and i totally felt like that it sounds like a tab show to me and it's so vibrant it's just such an awesome beginning of a record i love this song i always want to hear it i rarely do um i have heard a few really good versions but this this song is awesome and i like this version a lot i mean it's just the baseline like you know it's going to be good from the first kind of right away yeah it's interesting because i feel like i see this song so much as a set closer or as an encore but hearing it in this in this way i was like this is such a perfect opening track and this, along with Down With Disease, they utilize backing acoustic guitars in such a way that adds so much depth to Trey's playing and just gives you as a listener just like something else to put your ears to as the song's going on. And that combined with like the snapping and then the horns towards the end, there's just like, I, I was really blown away because I haven't gone back to listen to Hoist in a while just how much there was to dig into in the first three minutes of the album in a song like Julius. It's like they put all of the goals of this recording session 
on the front end of of the record and it just works out really well look we've got 24 tracks let's just um all right everybody everybody get together we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna whistle whistle a c just right now <laughs> there's okay. so many layers to these songs <laughs> yeah. too but I, I wish i could participate better in this discussion but i'm just looking at these pictures on americanrecording.com <laughs> <and> there's, <laughs> there's there's one picture of huey lewis with huey lewis's name spelled wrong which is just yeah. no way. oh no these guys are these guys are awesome okay sorry and it's like a mid late seventies, early eighties picture where like every man wore a skin tight t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. It, yes. He's got like, he's got aviators on. It's so great. We're going to bring that back. <laughs> That'd be a good summer tour. Look, I'm thinking about it. Okay. Sorry, um, anything else we want to say about Julius? Any, any live versions that you guys recommend? Any, any specific uh, versions that have built off this studio take? Every single one. I, I honestly, I think that every every Julius is 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 good, particularly when you're there and when it's happening. Like this, this is this song just really doesn't fail. I, I saw the, the uh, July. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, I saw the July twenty third ninety seven Julius in Atlanta. Um, so great, just, just awesome version. And I agree, Jonathan. This song live is just. I mean, what if they opened a summer tour show with this song? Like, people would lose their minds. Like, that would just be awesome. Yeah, somebody would be pissed. I drove through the snow <laughs> to go to um, State College, the twelve nine ninety seven show, and the second set opened with this before this amazing simple, and that was that was great. As an encore, it's a little bit like of a. I guess all encores are slightly disappointing in that it's like the end of the show, but it's like I, I like it better as an opener or, or opening a set than than an encore. Just because I'm always this, like, shit, this is the end of the show. Yeah. That's an interesting topic for a future. Except what, for the 20-minute Karini we saw, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm still crying. That was crazy. Um, I was really sad when that ended, but it was amazing. Um, I saw Julius close set one at my third show, July 19th, 2003. And I just, I get chills every time I hear it. There's, there's some... They wrap around to the buildup one additional time, and it just there's this like surge of energy that goes through the crowd. And I just I remember seeing that and being like, "Wow, this is a new way that I've heard fish," and just kind of losing my mind simultaneously. Um, let's jump into the second track, which in many ways is the star of this album. It is the song that has kind of eclipsed hoist in a lot of cases, and uh, has from a live standpoint, it, it just has produced highlight after highlight down with disease um my one request when i hear this the na na na's just bring them back please like such a great addition totally. to the second four, chorus yeah, four point like, right before really you go into the jam mm-hmm. oh they really could like the the vocals on it are great i also i really don't understand how this wasn't a crossover hit like if you plant yourself firmly in 1994 America and you think about like some of the crazy post immediate grunge hits that were coming out, how does down with disease with that guitar, like how is this not at least on college radio, like a, a, a larger hit? I think it was on some independent radio, but um, no, I don't, I don't even remember what was on the hit, the hits at the time in 1994. Uh, but this one I mean, it, it, man. It, it 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 hit number thirty three on the Billboard rock charts. I mean, that's mm, the that, single. That's about right. as, yeah, yeah, which 
It's about all you can expect from a fish song, honestly. It's a lot. <laughs> I mean, good. this is hippie music. You know, people people didn't like hippie music then. I mean, I feel like, you know, I went to college in the mid-90s and like all of us hippies just hung out together. Like I didn't know anybody else at school because we all just hung out together. We listened to our own music. And I think that like that, you know, I think there was a bit of a, I don't know, like a tinge on that on fish music. I think that people didn't want to listen to them. I don't know if that's true, yeah. but. You guys got like a small cameo in PCU and in any sort of like <laughs> yeah. college grunge movie. I love that movie. Just like, oh, those are the those are the hippies over exactly. there. Yeah, no, I, I get what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Well, I, I will say I was doing some research on Wikipedia to remind myself about the video for this. And and on Wikipedia, it says in concert, Down With Disease has spanned from three to 10 to over 20 minutes, often featuring full band improvisation. No way. Which I didn't know before. Don't but now, say. Yeah. <laughs> That's accurate. It's, it's kind of interesting. The only See, fish Wikipedia video. never lies. The only right? fish video. That's crazy. Yeah. But then you see it and you're like, now I know why it's the only fish yeah. video. Yeah. It's is there terrible. any other song you wish they would have made a video for? No. Maze. Oh, Gaiuti. Maze. Maze would be weird. Gaiuti would be good. Gaiuti yeah, yeah, would, <laughs> would be so weird. I Their songs are too room. weird. Yeah. Oh. Just them playing in that round ball house, then it just they like might, kind of They might down still do it, Brian, if you make a <laughs> <Yeah>. request. <laughs> I'm requesting right now. Um, I think they're scarred. Yeah. They look so awkward in that video. I, I just want to, like, I'm going to derail this again a little bit because it's what I do, but like talking about what was hitting and what wasn't hitting the charts and the radio and stuff, Super Unknown came out in early March. That's uh, the um, uh, Soundgarden record. And that, that record was five times platinum. That thing's huge. Green Day's Dookie came out early in the year as well. Um, these are not things that I love, but these are things that a lot of people loved. Actually, I like Super Unknown. Um, you know, Alice in Chains' Jar of Flies came out in January. These are the kinds of records that were really dominating the charts at the time. Um, so that's kind of why this stuff just kind of flies right in. You know, blur park life. If you want to pretend you, you know, you got your indie Brit pop cred, you know, that came <laughs> out just after um, Naz Illmatic, you know, hell, Amazing a lot of my album. friends were into hip hop and were far more excited about that record than they were about Hoist, even though they would be going to fish shows that year. So there's so uh, much good hip hop in the mid 90s. I mean, it was hard to compete. It's an interesting point. I mean, like there's the lack of cool factor the injection of humor and the hippie aspect that immediately just like pushes it away from everything that you just listed there. You've got like this darkness with Soundgarden. You've got punk rock revival with Dookie. You've got hip hop really taking over popular culture. Sorry. For, for live throwing copper came out in mm. April. That was the thing. Uh, I think it was too positive. Southern too. playlist. Uh, totally you, you agree. Know the album, you know, like, yeah, yeah. this is, it's, it was it, it was fitting. it was a big time for major label music, and Fish mm -hmm. was just they were getting a little push from Electra, but they were easily lost in the shuffle under a lot of other things. And I don't think Fish minded, you know, because they, as they've demonstrated, they're still here, they're still doing it. Their next album did better than this one. They kept pushing through. So, and you know, if only, if only MTV had just turned up a couple clicks on the Down with Disease video, it might have all been different. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I think to your point, it's interesting. We can get into this. I think in a in a later yeah, it's discussion probably for a about ninety four, 
but like you think about 1994 internally in the fish fan base and it's this year that we all just are like oh my god they played the white album late summer 94 has so many amazing shows the jamming takes this really dark you know crazy turn we've talked in the past about the providence bowie all of those things are off the mainstream radar and nobody cares except for us and that's kind of it's the the inch wide mile deep aspect of the fish communities. We will care right. and we will keep caring. Um, moving through these songs here, if I could, um, uh, one of the prettiest fish uh, songs ever written. Meg, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, this segue is like a fish show. It's a perfect segue from Down With Disease into If I Could. It's so beautiful. That to me is the moment when you feel like you are at a fish show. You kind of stop and you're like, oh, they're like releasing all that tension into this beautiful ballad. This is such a tender ballad, and it's one of those songs that every time I hear it, it stops me in my tracks. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this song, and every time I hear it, I always hear Alison Krauss singing in the background because it's just its so perfect. It's beautiful. Trey sounds great, too, and it's cool to think back on how Trey's singing has evolved even in the last few yeah. albums, and I think you really hear it in a song like If I Could. It's just a beautiful track. Alison Krauss delivers, like big time i like the um if you go on fish.net and read the um you know the history song history for this one uh, apparently trey wrote it for amy skelton who was you know yeah. first fan early merchandise queen and whatnot and uh you know after she was going through a different difficult time so it's not written necessarily from a perspective of romantic love but it certainly connects to that and i think a lot of people think of that when they listen to it but it's um yeah, it's just beautiful number, beautifully executed. Yeah, the the I mean the number of guests they had on this album, I think is probably the most of any any album. And the the layering is great, you know, from the just just with the you mentioned earlier the acoustic instruments and the background singing. It just it all it all works great. I think Megan, I was thinking about your point about the, about his voice, Trey's voice. More in terms of Life Boy, but his like, if he were to record this now, it would sound totally different because now he has like a much more kind of powerful singing voice in terms of a ballad. And on these songs, he's a little bit like soft. He's taking like a softer approach. It still sounds yeah. good, but it's just so different. I think he's not as like, rehearsed or practiced singing yeah. ballads then, right? Like now he yeah. actually sings them quite a bit and feels more confident, I think. And he's, you know, been pretty open about how he's thought about his singing and, and has gotten so much better. So I agree. He's singing really soft, but it's beautiful. Yeah, his primary mode of singing was um, loud club up on the mic kind of singing prior yeah. to this, you know. So doing a ballad in the studio is a big switch for Trey at the time. It is interesting for a band that has not spent really any time writing ballads in their first 10 years, their first three on record, Fast Enough for You, if I could and life boy last as such incredible songs to hear live and hit really, really hard in the studio. And we'll get to life boy here in a little bit, but it's just, it's amazing. To, it was, it was really wild to watch it in the tracking doc. I, I was taken by Alison Krauss is singing and she stops at the end of her first line. And she has a huge issue the way that she pronounced the word could. And yet, as I heard it, I was like, that's Alison Krauss. It's like the prettiest, voice i've ever heard this was my introduction to her and i immediately went out and bought alice and cds afterwards because i was like this is this is like the greatest 
This is one of the greatest voices I've ever heard. Um, we can probably skip Riker's mailbox, even though it's it's this interesting moment on the record where, to Jonathan's point earlier, it feels like Fish is injecting themselves into this album on purpose. Deep Star Trek reference, though. Come on. Come on. We'll, get, Very we'll, deep we'll do a Star Trek, Trek, Trek episode sometime in the near future. Uh, let us know in the comments if you want to start. Not Trek available episode. that day. Me RK, neither. RK, you guys will miss it, but um, I'll host it and uh, you know I'll play some clips. Or I'm not up for that kind of research. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even have to research it. I'm here. I know. But feel free sure. to carry on. There are already too, too many nights where my wife is like, what are you watching on TV right now? Is this for research? And if it's Star Trek, it might... Uh, I'm not. I'm not cross. saying I'm opposed, but it may cross the line um, in the house. A lifetime uh, of research. A lifetime. It is like fish. There's. There's already so much of that. Um, I think it's really interesting that they put this rock, this song on because it's just kind of there to fuck with everyone. Well, I very quickly again in the fishnet notes, and I'm not sure their source on this, but apparently the um, you know Buffalo Bill was an outtake for the album, and yeah. a bit of the Buffalo Bill performance is the foundation for this track. Um, I think in reverse. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's what they're getting at, and uh, and then yeah, then they got the producer's next door neighbor, Jonathan Frakes. A.K.A. Will Riker, Star Trek Enterprise, uh, Starship Enterprise D, uh, to uh, play trombone. So, rad. Fun. Do you guys... Sorry, I just want to say, have you guys heard Tom's story about Buffalo Bill? About writing it? I don't think so. About what the lyrics are about? I can't remember if I have. Okay, we got to... Okay, we're... Future episode. We'll address that soon because it's it's amazing and it's a great story. Um, Okay. That's sh- so, that but that's not a, on this album. That should be a, a, a deep dive of some sort, maybe a lyrical one. That's an interesting. We can idea. do it. Big tease right there. We Thank you, RJ. That's yeah, an interesting idea. Amazing. Um, jumping into the fifth song on the record, Axela Part Two, probably lyrically the better option over Axela Part One to put on uh, record here. Um, this song rocks. Like this is one of the best rock songs Fish has written, and when the guitar comes in. And then the immediate riff comes in. I mean, this is like one of the best produced rock songs that the band has ever played. RJ, what are your thoughts on this version? Um, I just went back. I mean, I just listening to it was reminded of the show that I that that I saw and Jonathan saw in, in Vegas a couple months ago when they played this for, I don't know, 20 minutes or more or something. So yes. awesome. Um, that's so that's really my only, that's that really my only thought about it. Sorry. That's all. Otherwise, it's fine. <laughs> um, John, yeah, what are your I, thoughts? I, I will say that we were listening to this. I, I uh, we were brewing beer yesterday, and I took the the record over and put it on at my neighbor's sound, where the sound system is many many speakers throughout the space. And uh, when this tune came on, I was jumping up and down in the brew room, and my friend looked at me and said, "Dude, this is not a show." <laughs> I was like, I don't care. It's, this this kind of is. Yeah, he he sounds kind of lame. He needs to. No, like, he's he's, get into he's it. pretty awesome, <laughs> but he knows how to call me out, so that's fair. Um, that seems fair. Yeah, no, it, it, but it, it yeah, the version, this version on the record, it's just it it rips. It's so good, and uh, yeah, the uh, shout out to the Vegas, the fully realized Axel Part mm-hmm. Two, yeah. Las Vegas, uh, the dream of so many of us that they would just jam out that last riff. Uh, Meg, what are your thoughts on on Axel Two? Did you ever see one live? 
No, I've never seen it. Right. Never I didn't mean seen to it. bring up a sore wound there. I, I know, I know. Sorry. Another reason why I was like so sad about missing those Vegas shows. But this song is also has really great lyrics too. Like the music is amazing, but I also love the lyrics. And I think that they can kind of get lost because the music's so good. But this is just such a great song. And I don't understand why they don't play it more often. And I want to make a real just request and beg the band. I would just like lose my mind if I heard this song. It'd be so fun. This is just classic rock and it's so good. It's only my second time seeing the uh part two. Well yeah you get it for one was in ninety four. Yeah. You get it throughout ninety four and ninety five and then the last version was December thirty first, ninety five until Shoreline twenty twenty one and in somewhere in ninety six. I don't have the exact date. I think it's fall Axilla one comes back for the first time in three years and uh to this point or to you know early 2020 or mid 2021 that's the only version that we get from this song i I wonder if it's going to be like a curtain with curtain type of thing where we don't ever hear the curtain anymore every time that song starts up you get the curtain with because the band has brought it back and why wouldn't they play it in full um it'll be interesting to to see if axilla 2 comes back with a vengeance again in 2022 um life boy we talked a little bit about this song when we were talking about if I could, I, I think my biggest takeaway from this version on the record is you hear Trey start to maybe unconsciously or subconsciously, but like start to get the ideas of Billy breathes in his head. It sounds like the barn. It sounds like fish kind of shut in and just like alone with their thoughts and just making music. Um, there's a lot happening below the surface that really makes this album version very interesting And it's one of those songs, like I remember the Gorge version from this past summer and that just beautiful second set on the first night. It just feels weightless when it's played in the right way. And the the theme of the song, you know, lyrically just fits the music just in such a way that like it's kind of crushing you. John, what are your thoughts? I feel like this is a song that you would really connect with. Yeah, I mean, it's um, lyrically it's heavy. And the execution is just perfect, you know. Sometimes, sometimes writers, you know, they they write a really heavy song and then they put it against some sort of really light music to kind of disguise um, or offset uh, the message, if you will. And and they don't really do that here. They set it all kind of perfectly. They capture it really nice. And I think floating is a good term, obviously appropriate for the uh, the literal message, uh, the literal interpretation of what's happening in the song. But uh, the come down off of Axilla into this is just a, it's kind of a beautiful little ride too. If you have the, uh, the LP pressing, which of course it wasn't originally issued on LP, but it, you know, side two is Axilla two, and then Life Boy, and it's just a beautiful side and uh, just just lovely piece of music. RJ, what are your thoughts on this? I don't have anything to add. Jonathan, Jonathan got it. RJ likes to see this after Tweezer. I know, I know that's <laughs> <Yeah>. true. <laughs> that's true. That's that my sounds only comment. perfect. That's <laughs> uh, so great. <laughs> I mean, the song is so earnest. I think that's what's really amazing about this song. And when Fish is really earnest, I think I think it's just incredibly beautiful. I saw this in 1996, and then I saw it again in Charlotte in 2019, which was a really fun show. And the hush that went over the crowd when the song came on, I mean, 
it was it was incredible. People were crying. It was just a really, it's such a beautiful song. Yeah, I saw this in Vegas 04. It was the first time I saw it. And I hadn't really like spent a lot of time with the song at that point in time. And it came in the middle of the second set that is deeply, deeply underrated. We we can get into the Vegas 04 discussion some other day. Um, that'll be Jonathan's Star Trek as well as RJ's Star Trek. Um, that middle that night... Day. 41604 I will I will defend that show and, and the the life boy that is played midway through set 2 is just beautiful. Um, what what awful awful shows those were. Well, um, you know it's funny. I've only right. seen that song at another show that I rate as awful which is Hampton 04. So, it's the only time that I've ever seen him play it. So. I just want to say I Brian you're I don't want to I'm sorry. I I would like to let's talk about it on another show cuz I want to hear you defend that yes. show. Um yes, I will say that out of the 57 times that Lifeboy has been played live, 17 times were out of Tweezer. So it's fitting. It's like a yin and a yang thing. You know, it's you yeah. get this jamming power from Tweezer that was one of those 61894. Can you find that? Uh, no. Uh, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's um, a, that's a great, great second set. But the last time was 123096. You know, it's that was when that, I saw it. Really? Go. Mm-hmm. Well, after that heavy psychic back. assault of a of a good tweezer or other you know because they've 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 done it out of other really heavy jammed out tunes like bowies and things yeah. it is really just the the nice breath catch and not like the breather like hearing any you know another fluffy ballad because it's still a very psychically heavy tune but it really just like restores the oxygen into the room after they've been, you know, flailing us with some intense shit. So I love this. I think it's going to come out of tweezer in the Mexico version. It's going to be so great. Just put it out in the universe (laughs) and uh, make that request. I think that's, that's a good request. Um, Let's jump into the hit single sample in a jar. Um, Shout out. My brother and I have a inside joke that every time, sample comes on um we had a dude behind us at blossom 2010 who when sample started said oh squirming coil cool (laughs) no it just (laughs) sounds like squirming coil and so every time we hear sample my brother and i go oh nice squirming coil um (laughs) it was it was was a fun inside baseball moment but uh sample in a jar was the first fish song i learned how to play on guitar and that intro riff is still so much fun if you can just get some power behind the amp it is like you feel like a rock star playing it you can totally understand why trey walks on stage and is like yeah let's just open with sample tonight um this song is so fun and it works so well on this on this record it's so perfectly captured this song and Life Boy, I believe, are the only two songs that had been road tested before the album. So people had heard these. I think that this is played most recently at 123093. Um, but what are you guys' thoughts on sample? Are you pro sample? Are you anti-sample? Where where do you fall, Jonathan, in terms of hearing sample at a fish show and in the larger catalog? How could you be anti-sample? I mean, well, you'd are, be surprised. Odds are it's only going to be. Oh, I know. There's always somebody, right? <laughs> odds are it's only going to be what, like five, seven minutes long, and it's going to yeah. rip, right? Uh, you might get lucky, as happened at say Jamfield. You might get lucky, or uh, probably won't. Um, but uh, you know what? What's to lose? It's. I've never played it on guitar, which is funny. I'm gonna, now I'm going to go and uh, and figure out how. 
Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's great fun. RJ? Um, yeah, I mean, five, it's five minutes. Like, God, get over yourselves. I mean, I just can't imagine <laughs> being upset about about this. Um, it's it's a great song. It's super fun to hear live, and it's it's like it's a classic. So you know, no, I got no, I don't have any time for that bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> this song is amazing. If you've ever been 19 years old and cheated on and nobody told you about it and people knew like i don't know if that maybe happened to me or not but i will say that this song like resonates deeply and i feel like this is like that anthem when you get to like yell and dance and be like mad at that person in a way that like feels good so every time i hear sample i'm super happy and i just i love it i agree it's a classic fish song yeah Usually it's Jonathan that takes us off course, but I feel like we need to hang out in a space and talk about sample in a jar. No, um, it I is, thought you were going to talk a, about my, my personal life. I was getting well, really nervous. <laughs> we're going off on a, we're going this off. This is what the listeners track. are here for. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, here oh for. God. Um, one, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. That's awful. <laughs> um, two, yes, it is like the type of song that you just want to like pump your fist to and be like, in this moment, life absolutely rules. Uh, I remember that that same show that they closed the first set with Julius. They opened with Sample, and it was my third fish show. And I had um, I had consumed some stuff before the show, and was ha- I was I was feeling great. Good tacos, great tacos, <laughs> um, awesome, awesome. Uh, some fungi tacos, and um, they opened with Sample, and I just like lost it my first time hearing sample live and like i said you know it's that guitar riff like you get why trey does it and i remember a friend of mine being like sorry man it's just sample and i was like dude it is like fish is on stage right now and i realized in that moment that there was a divergence there in that relationship so i hear you on uh, on relationships changing via sample um that sounds really intense brian i'm sorry about that it was it was it was quite intense, but it was good. I'm glad I got to enjoy that story. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into uh, as we fill out the backside of this record here. Wolfman's brother. Um, there's a lot to unpack here with Wolfman's brother. I don't think any song on this record has changed more from the oh, studio yeah. cut to the live cut than Wolfman's. Um, the the only thing I have to say about this song, aside from the fact that it grooves and you can hear like hints of where fish is going three years later in this song in a really, really cool way. The vocal inflections when they say brother and they just like stretch (laughs) out the end and the way that they sing this song. I do wonder if there's a moment where they listen back and they're like, Hmm. We should have we should have done another cut on this. Or if the fact that they leaned into the brother is just what makes the song what it is. John, what are your thoughts? It's not brother. It's brother. <laughs> There's like nine notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She got it. Um, you know, uh yeah, I, I like this song. I think this version is good. I think they could have, and I'm glad they didn't, made very similar production choices as they did with Julius. They could have brought in horns and 
you know, just done it up that way. They didn't go that far with it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and as you say, it had ultimately another path. Um, I didn't bring it up with Down With Disease, but I, I, I listened to uh, both the uh, the Went Disease and the Went Wolfman's. Both of those are, you know, lead off. The, both of those are great versions and lead off really excellent segments of my life. Um, <laughs> uh, what beautiful moments that I had uh, in the past, and uh, and you know, it's it's this song is. There's so many stories related to this song, but it all starts from this fairly, I almost rudimentary kernel. But it's really it's nicely produced. It sounds slick and straight ahead. And uh, and if you come at fish in twenty, you know, in this century learn about their live material, see a show or two, and then listen to this album, it's a, probably a little, like, shocking. Yeah, it's wild that within three years, I mean, Disease would have moments in 1995, most notably the SPAC summer version, but within three years, Wolfman's and Down With Disease are two of their most reliable jam vehicles and two of the songs that just immediately get them to the musical space that they're trying to get to in this reinvention period of 1997. And the fact that like these two songs were crafted and time was spent pouring over them to get them perfect for a record that is supposed to make them take this pop cultural leap. And three years later, they're almost reinvented solely as ways to dive them deeper into their own heads and into their own musical minds and get them to break apart this thing that they've created. It's a really interesting pathway. And it really kind of shows you like one of the things I love about fish is their openness to wherever their creative engines take them and, and that they weren't going to hold up these two songs from pushing them forward you know, they were going to let the songs kind of dictate where the band was going. Meg, what, do, what what are your thoughts on on Wolfman's? Yeah, I mean, I think that also just demonstrates what great songs they are. I mean, I think that this song can go so many places. I love this version. I think it's so full of life and soul. And watching the tra- tracking documentary, you can see how much fun they had making this song. I mean, they're having a lot of fun and it's so rich. You can just hear all these like funny sounds and noises and there's just textures. And to me, it's it's just really vibrant in a way that I think is awesome. And only Fish would have a song that is that full on a record. It's just so, I don't know, it's just so them. It's got so many different sounds and I love it. I think it's a great version. And I also do think that the fact that these songs were built so intentionally and were they did spend so much time on them is probably why they went back to them and ended up taking them out. Yeah. Wolfman's took a little, um, hiatus if I remember yeah. correctly, like it came out, uh, you know, when the album came out, they stood, and then they kind of set it down for a little bit. Um, and then, uh, quickly clicking, I'm you know, up right now. yeah, they played it just a handful of times in 94 and shelved it in the summer and then brought it back in the fall of 95. Um, yeah, there's Which an 87 is... show gap between Summer 94 and the last version was the Game Hoist show. And even that, you started to see, you know, it's played a couple of times in uh, in April 
and early May, and then you get a 10, 11, 10 show gap, and then 87 before it's played again in fall of 95. And, and, you know, and then they, they flexed it out a little bit with a couple double digit gaps, but since God, probably since 1997, uh, July of 97, I, it's rarely, I'm, I'm just scrolling quickly. It's all, you know, a handful of shows and, I'm... and Wolfman's is back and, mm-hmm. and good for them and good for us. Um, in fact, I think that, uh, the gap, <laughs> Between uh, 1017 2021 and 1031 2021 is one of the longest since 97. It is. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's basically a five-show gap until you get to 723 2017 to 92 2017, which is only because of the Baker's mm. Dozen. It's an 11-show yeah. gap. And then, it, you know, it's it's fallen slightly out of the immediate rotation. It's like seven shows, six shows, nine shows over the last four or five years. But I think also that's, there's just yeah. been an injection of new material. It's, it's a song you can songs, songs every hear, year, right? <laughs> yeah. I would also argue, you know, just in terms of Wolfman's longevity, there was no more consistent song in early 3.0 than Wolfman's brother. It's, it was the song that if you go back and you listen to 09, 10, 11 into 12, where there's a lot of songs that, are either struggling to be to you know become jam vehicles again or are kind of just figuring out where it falls wolfman's was that reliable two slot whatever it was wherever they were playing it they played wolfman's and like the second song of the show and it just like crushes and owns almost immediately and there's such a good groove and it just felt like a song they were really comfortable playing with at that time um all right, last third of the record. We've got Sin of a Mule, which, you know, is for, for a variety of reasons is is uh, criticized throughout the community for its placement. Um, I love the 1994 versions, and I love this version on the record. You get Bela Fleck. There's such a vibe on this record, uh, on this version on the record. Um it feels joyful. It feels humorous. It feels like Mike's personality is really coming through in a way that it, it doesn't throughout the early parts of the record of the record. What are your guys thoughts? Mega? Yeah, I feel like this is one of the more fishy moments of this album. You know, it's just, I think the banjo is incredible. Um, this is not my favorite song to hear live. It's a hard song for me to dance to. Um, but I feel like, I actually uh, understand why people feel like this is a weird spot to put the song in the album, but I also feel like this is another reason why the album stayed where it was and stayed within the fish community because of a song like this. This is just, if you were playing this album and you were like a normal person in 1994, you would be like, what is this? You know, you wouldn't get it. And I think if you know fish, you get it, you know, Mike, you know, his humor, you get, you know, that they have incredible musicians playing with them. I think it's just a fish song that I think you only get if you're into fish. Yeah, I mean, if you were a normal person, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is a normal? I I like Son of a Mule. Um, I especially like the fact that what it's become, and and it became kind of early on uh, a gateway to weirdness. So the song is funny, and this version is great. Bela's amazing. I'm so glad they pulled him in on this one. And uh, but you know, then you have like 
back to the great went again, something I was focusing on um, is, you know, there's a digital delay loop jam in there. You know, uh, other versions. I don't know. There's, there's, there's few other versions. There's one like uh, that I saw that year, uh, twelve twenty eight ninety seven, with this kind of weird. Uh, just well, that's the thing. This is the access point for weird in a fish show. If they're not going to do a twenty five minute five part tweezer or David Bowie or something, you know, this opens that door too. And Trey and Paige typically, um, you know. It, at minimum, they exchange solos and riffs. Uh, at maximum, they, well, there you go, digital delay loop jam or something, you know, equally bizarre. Uh, 3.0, they've used the marimba lumina as kind of a focal point for mm -hmm. it as well. Uh, a lot of people also hate that. So, oh, well, uh, I think it works. Uh, and it's not that frequently perpetrated. <laughs> so, you know, it's I think it's worth it. My first fish tape was 11, 17, 1994. So the 94 sound will always sound like fish to go. me. Um, that first set. And the second song is Scent of a Mule. And I just remember really liking it. I love the p piano guitar duel. I loved the way that like, you know, I'm listening to this band play Helter Skelter to open the show up and then play this bluegrass song that, as I would learn more about fish, I'm like, wait, this is about aliens invading. Like what in the hell is, what is going on with this band? Like, and then really being intrigued and then they break it down and it's kind of groovy in a really dorky way, but like it works and then they build it back up and you go back into the chorus and like the chorus just kind of explodes and you're back in, you know, you're, you're back in like normalcy at that point in time. Um, you speak about the marimba luminas and my favorite version, I was going through this, album and i was thinking what was what is my favorite version i've seen of each of these songs my favorite version of son of a mule that i saw was july 20th 2014 at north of the island which is a really great underrated show that has one of my favorite ghosts i've ever seen but in the first set they play son of a mule and they go they all wrap around the marimba luminas and it takes the bluegrass alien invasion aspect and really adds like a literal nature to it because when they're all playing the marimba luminas it sounds like aliens are coming down to wherever you are um you know i think some of the complaints around this song are that when it's played live in the second set it just takes up a large amount of real estate and there's not as much to break out of but to your point jonathan like in classic rock world where are you going to hear a bluegrass song be played about aliens invading that has a midsection that is going to jam as well um with, with klezmer influences just to keep it nice with klezmer influences yes exactly great comment here from mad delirious uh, are, are um are there good in invasions i don't think that they're out to get us yes the band is the band is there <laughs> to just delight us and 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 kind of tickle our brains in a lot of cases so um let's jump into dog face boy this um i don't know if this is my favorite song on the record but this is one of my favorite fish songs of all time it is so you talk about the earnest nature of like life mm -hmm. boy. And if I could, you really get that. But through the kind of warped lyrical brain of John Fishman, it's such a sweet song. It really gets to the point of, you know, this forlorning and, and feeling like you've completely screwed everything up. And, and that perspective is so interesting for them to write from. I saw, I've only seen one dog face boy, uh, August 12th, 2010, at Deer Creek 
one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. Really wild, like 17 song second set, but really, really good. They play Split Open and Melt. The bottom falls out of it. They cannot return to Split Open and Melt. There's absolutely no way to return to Split Open and Melt. It's getting dark and just like really like just eerie at Deer Creek that night. And it was like 105 degrees. So it's just insanity. And out of nowhere, Trey starts strumming the chords to dog face boy and sings it. And it was one of the most perfect placements for the song I ever heard. But um, Meg, what are your thoughts on dog face boy? Yeah. I mean, you said it so perfectly, but I, I think this song is great because it's this really tender song, but it's wrapped up in a title that's grotesque, which I think is so <laughs> kind of fish, you know, <laughs> like yeah. this song is so beautiful and, and yeah, earnest and tender and quiet. And it has this title that's just like dog faced boy. Um, I love it. I've never heard it. So I'm, I'm jealous that you have, you've got one on this 1.0 or Brian. Just one thing. Nice play. Uh, um, yeah, I don't have a lot to add other than I just want to brag that I saw it on 1228.94. And then for a substantial mm. gap, I saw it at the Animal Show in Vegas this past year. So many shows, I, songs I wanted to see at that show. That's why that was my pick from Fall Tour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a hell of a show. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, but um, it kind of overshadowed in my brain by Shaggy Dog, maybe. But mm. it's such yeah. a wonderful it's a wonderful little tune and um thrilled to see it want to see it again but we we've got to we got to wrap this up this show this this uh last bit of this album is so freaking good i have words mm-hmm. to say so it is it is right. i just want to add one thing megan your point about this beautiful earnest song being called dogface boy it reminds <laughs> me of they they record strange design for billy breathes which if there's any song that could have crossed over along with like Dave Matthews crash in 1996 strange design really feels like the song that would have just like leapt to the pop charts and to mess with it. They don't put it on the album and the recorded version that's been released. I think it was on the European cuts of Billy breeze and you, you can hear it online at this point is so sonically like isolating and cold. And it just does not do what you would think strange design would do or should do. And Dogface boy kind of reminds me of that. Um, demand the final track, which to screw with the world with, with popular culture enough, not only do they put demand on the back, which is just a weird, obscure little fish song, but then they tack on a live jam, which ends and goes into a Jewish hymnal. Um, John, what are your thoughts on demand? You have so demand it is this funky little composition that could have been a component of fluffhead or something you know it is um you know it could have been written in the same breath as uh as the all songs all things reconsidered uh tune you know it's it's great it's cute it's got these interesting lyrics about you know going home to see mom and dad and you know which relates i think i think the college audience of the time uh were definitely relating to this kind of stuff in the lyric here and then and then it fades car sounds you can hear the radio when the car turns on they're talking about selling stereo equipment and then pops in a tape wait a second, let's split open and damn melt. It's a really good one, you know? Holy shit, it's a really good one. 
which you may or may not have had the tape for when you got this uh, album in uh, early 94. I didn't have that tape. Um, but other other people did and identified it. And and it's it's a trip. Like, it's a literal, like, journey. You know, you, you hop in the car to go see mom and dad, and you drive, and you drive aggressively. The cops are out going by, and then crash, and then this hymnal to waft you up into heaven or wherever one goes at the end. Um, it is, uh, it's freaking intense. That's the 421-93 split, right? And um, it's an absolutely crushing version. And it just, it, this the end sequence here, It's it takes up side four on the LP release, and it's just, it's perfect. Goddamn, you know, everybody who says Fish doesn't make good albums needs to sit down and shut up. <laughs> it's a proper like... way to close it. And I, I wonder how many Fish fans it, how many, how many people bought this record out of curiosity about Fish and listened through and that last part, the, the split up in a melt jam, how many of them were convinced like, oh, I need to check this out. What, what are your thoughts, Meg? Yeah, I was wondering if this is kind of their way of saying this is actually who we really are. We're a band that people put bootlegs on in their car, and that's because we rage. And this is what we really do. And then we rage this, like, incredible jam, and then we play a Hebrew song. You know, I think that, like, that's them saying, like, this is who we really are, just in case you were confused. I don't know. I just wonder if that's them just putting their stamp on that album. Like, this is us. I think there's something to that, but it also, I feel like it goes to – a question that Brian asked at the top of, you know, who was and where was Fish in fall of 93? And yes, this split is from actually from spring of 93, but this is Fish answering that question. This mm-hmm. is where they were when they go to make this record. They yeah. had this kind of breakthrough version of the song that they've been playing since 89. And like, you know what? This is who we are. This is where we are. Mm-hmm. It's a really good point, and it's a good way to wrap it around. Like, you know, this song demand, it's it's only been played live 16 times. And and part of it is because it's it's like a catapult, it's like a kung, like it's one of those songs that like it doesn't really have a fit unless it's at the right show where it has a fit. Um, it was brought back after a uh, uh, 643 shows. It was played on 11 14 96 and then came back on December 31st, 2009, and has been played once since then, 901 shows later, um, on July 20th, 2016, and none since then. Um, there's a lot of versions from the spring summer of 1994, and you're right, like it allows this entry point into who is fish as they're about to embark on this massive year and nobody knew on March 29th, nobody knew when they're recording these songs, what 1994 would mean for the band. It's just, they've got shows booked. They've got to play those shows. We're trying to push an album. Um, the reverse would happen. The split open and melt sound is what would guide the band forward. Not necessarily this album, but it's a really interesting snapshot of where they are. Um, one thing I would just say, the 624.94 version, for anyone who hasn't heard it, I highly recommend it. It goes into an absolutely just blazing version of Antelope. One of my favorite versions of Run Like an Antelope ever played. It opens the second set. It is fantastic, fantastic stuff. 
Um, all right, two quick questions for you both. Meg, I'll start with you. How does this album hold up for you 28 years later? I actually like it more now than I did then. Maybe I just appreciate it in a different way, but I really appreciate what they were trying to do and that they were trying something new. And I think that we got some incredible songs and obviously songs that we still want them to bring back, which I think is pretty incredible. John, what about you? I think it's great. If if you couldn't figure out from everything I've been saying here, uh, I, I think they did a great job on this record then. I enjoyed it then. I really love it now. I mean, just dropping the needle on Julius yesterday uh, was it was thrilling. It's it's just good music made well, and it I think it holds up. Yeah, you know it's interesting because to me, I always think about this record as my friend in math class saying, you you want to listen to fish? Don't listen to hoist. And then I listened to hoist. And I was like, wait, I like hoist. Is there something wrong with me? No, this to <laughs> There's me, something wraps... wrong with that kid in your math class. Yeah. <laughs> this wraps back around to what I said earlier. Um, you know, RJ mentioned uh, that this, and for all of our listeners out there, not, 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 uh, not watching for those listening, R- RJ had to step away about halfway through the pod. So um, that's why you haven't heard his opinions in the last half of the album. But um, as RJ said, this sounds like a fish show to me. This sounds like just like the perfect snapshot of a fish album. You know, you're going to get to Billy breathes. That's such a mood record. And that shows like fish taking a break in some cases and resetting. You get to story, the ghost, you're going to hear fish, um, you know, really leaning into this new sonic environment. I feel like the only comparable records to Hoist are first farmhouse, which is another kind of radio push and a, a very sleek record that, that sounds like the band is trying to take these, this step towards something of a crossover. But then if you look in the 3.0 era, um, the way that they approached Joy and Big Boat in particular seemed like another step towards what they did on Hoist, which is interesting that like this lingering idea of can we make a record that crosses over still kind of stuck with them. But um, to answer my question, wrapping around to it, I think it holds up better than I thought initially. Um, last question. John, I'll start with you. What is the best live performance that you have seen of a Hoist song? I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, it might be the Axilla <laughs> Part 2 in Vegas, or it might be uh, the disease uh, from the Great Went. Um, that, that, there's been a few of those, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I did. I really tried to come those up with Those are good versions still. Yeah. Like, those, are, those are great versions for an I don't know. Meg, yeah. how about you? Um, I'm going to have to do another 97, 12, 29, 97, Down With Disease. Open the go. second set. Over 23 minutes, leads off this five-song second set, absolutely ferocious jam. I think that's probably the best. But yeah, I've, I feel like I've had a lot of moments with a lot of these songs, too, that have been incredible. And hopefully some more. Hopefully some more. Hopefully. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Disease, my favorite song off the record. I've, I've seen three versions that just blew my mind. Sorry I'm cheating, but, you know, uh, July 18th, 2003 – amazing disease it goes into a psycho killer jam goes into catapult just like that is that is fish for me right there 
uh, December 30th, 2012, just this sprawling kind of smear of an abstract jam to open up the second set. Uh, and then September 3rd, 2017, which is one of the most psychedelic jams I've ever seen the band play. Last night of Dick's 2017, they open up with a 21 minute disease that will like, it will scare your socks off. It is a, it is a great, great jam. Um, that about does it. I think that we did a good job backtracking through hoist here. Um, we will be back next week, February 23rd at 4.30 p.m. Eastern with an episode where we're going to look back in time 10 years at June 2012, the first half of June 2012. We're not going to do the whole tour. We'll do that at some other point, but we're going to look back in time, talk a bit about June 2012, where the band was at, what was, what are some of the standout jams? What are some of the standout shows? What are some of the highlights? What have we taken with us since that 2012 was a really pivotal tour in fish history and I cannot wait to get into it. I started listening today just to get ahead of things. And, My uh, gosh, you're so ahead, Brian. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> and I know, I know, I know. Um, but some really great stuff on there and I, I can't wait to talk about that. I, I think that at least some of us will be together. RJ, we know will be traveling at that point in time to Mexico. But um, before we go, I want to just tell you once again about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD. Their line of smokable hemp products are for both the old deadhead or the young fish fan. Young fish fan. I, I am a young fish fan. Still. Sure you are. Me too. Um, Me too. Of course. At heart, we all are. Um, searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid or anxious side effects. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there's something for everyone. The Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and cherry abacus is the best for the end of the night. All the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. And very fast. Man, they ship out so quick. Um, I just love this stuff. I said it at the top. I had a I had a nice little pipe last night of some Sunset Lake uh, bud, and I was perfect. I could focus on the work that I needed to do. I had some dishes to do. I had tracking to watch and some notes to take on it. And I could do all of it and yet not have that paranoia. It was I was relaxed. I was just – I was – I was grooving, man. I was having a really good time. So please check out sunsetlakecbd.com. Again, that's sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD, 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, farmer Vermont-grown. There it is. And with that, I will wish you all a wonderful Wednesday evening, a wonderful weekend, and I will see you all here next week. Thanks so much, guys. See you next week.
Osiris. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.